If you remember how powerful it felt to snap a hot pink razor flip phone shut after getting off the phone, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarins multi-active cream to your daily routine. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and C-Holly bioextract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While multi-active creams can't bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can distress your skin. Clarins Multi-Active Cream is available online now. Go to clarins.com slash truecrime and get multi-active day and night cream for 10% off. A free welcome gift plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. Clarins.com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Two couples form the unbreakable bond of friendship. The four of them started cycling together. They were all really great friends. But when one of them goes missing, their friendships are put to the test. We tried calling her and uh, she, she didn't answer. Her roommate was so scared and, and worried that something may have happened to her. A cryptic dream could hold the key to solving the mystery. Can you tell me anything at all about your dream? It was kind of strange. She wouldn't get out of bed. She's had this dream where someone may have hurt or someone may have killed. The intensive investigation will expose a series of brutal betrayals. He was upset. He found out that the woman he loved was with another man. All of a sudden, both marriages fall apart. As detectives get closer to the truth, they discover what started as a dream soon unfolds into a nightmare. She was beaten until the person couldn't beat anymore. I think that's when people say somebody's evil. That's what evil is. February 15th, 2010, Indy Atlantic, Florida. It's just after 9 p.m. as personal trainer Mark Knopf anxiously waits for his client, Kelly Brennan. Kelly had an appointment in the evening uh, with the personal trainer and then she didn't show up. She had never not shown up. That would be very out of character for Kelly. Mark went out to check the parking lot to see if her car was there and uh, couldn't find it and he said, hey, this is totally unlike her. She's always early. Worried, Mark begins calling to track Kelly down. It's not long before the news reaches her roommate, Stephanie Griffith. Stephanie Griffith, she last saw Kelly Brennan um, that morning at 6 a.m. Um, when Kelly was leaving for work. 
She hadn't spoken with her throughout the day. She was concerned because with Kelly, she always kept a regular schedule. No one's heard from her, and they get very worried at that point because she always answers her phone. A little after 11 o'clock, um, Stephanie Griffith um, decided to call 911 to report her friend Kelly Brennan is missing. Deputies from the Brevard County Sheriff's Office arrive at Stephanie and Kelly's apartment at 11.21 p.m., hoping to get more information for their missing persons report. When Stephanie arrived home after getting off work at 9.30 that night, she did see that Kelly had taken her bicycle. Her scrubs that she had worn to work were in a hamper, so she knew she had come home to leave for the gym. Stephanie seemed to believe that this was extremely out of character and distressing because she was so punctual. So we get to the background to help us determine their activities, the people they may have been in contact with, where do they work, do they have any medical issues. Those are the types of things we're looking for. We were very on edge, wondering what, what happened to her. We were very worried about it. Born in 1963, Kelly Brennan grew up in New Jersey. With four sisters, Kelly had plenty of experience getting along with others. She had just a cute smile, and she was always pleasant, and people did. People loved Kelly, absolutely. Kelly had a lot of friends. Everybody that knew her, you know, would eventually become a friend. After graduating high school, Kelly dreamed of attending nursing school and took a job at a local seafood restaurant to pay her own way. She was a very hard worker and she worked a couple jobs. We worked the four to midnight shift most of the time. After nursing school, Kelly set her sights on establishing a successful career. She worked as a nurse at the hospital, so had a job that was very physical and had a, a great compassion for people. Around the hospital, Kelly was known as a Sarge because of her work ethic. She would always push and strive to do better, and, and, and she would push others around her to do better. Outside of work, Kelly longed for love, and in 2003, she found it with an old friend named Gino Rollo. Kelly Brennan and Gino met while working at the restaurant. Gino was the manager of the restaurant she was working at to put herself through school. He was always a nice guy, easy to talk to, very, very awesome host. They started to grow intimate the more time they spent together. They started a relationship, eventually got married. Kelly and Gino seemed very happy. They would have uh, little get-togethers at their house, and it was always a good time and very happy, upbeat atmosphere. But a diagnosis Kelly had received in her early 30s sometimes took a toll. Kelly had MS. It affected her nervous system, and some days she'd be a little slow. She would move with difficulty and um, a little weak. She always looked very healthy, very fit. When I was told she had MS, I, I was shocked. Kelly refused to let the diagnosis control her life. When Kelly had the flare-ups, she would power through and keep going. She wasn't a quitter. That was something that was very inspiring. Kelly was a real advocate for MS. She would do bike rides for fundraisers to help raise money and awareness. 
Kelly also kept herself busy with friends who shared her passion for staying active, including 38-year-old Sheila Graham Trott. She moved here from Canada and was drawn here by the coastline and the surf and the water that we have. She was a diving instructor, and Brevard County is a great place for that. She was good enough to teach diving. She was very smart. I met both Kelly and Sheila at the same time. Kelly Brennan and Sheila and myself, we were all servers together in a restaurant. We closed together every night, and we were a tight-knit bunch. We became great friends and stayed friends. The restaurant industry also helped Sheila find the love of her life, Dan Trott. He's attractive, he's funny, and he's charming. And it's not hard to see why he, you know, could pick up girls. Dan dreamed of becoming a pilot. And when the couple married on August 26, 1989, Sheila worked nights and weekends to pay for Dan to go to flight school. I think that she looked at it like I'm a good wife and I'm supporting my husband in everything he does. Eventually, Sheila's hard work paid off. Dan became a pilot and the couple started a family. They had two kids, Graham and Creighton. She always took good care of the kids, made sure they had what they needed. And she was a good wife. She, you know, made dinner and poured a cocktail when Dan walked through the door. She worked in the restaurant business, and she also did real estate. At some point, Dan had actually became involved in city politics and became the mayor of Indy Atlantic. I voted for him because I felt like I was voting for Sheila, because Sheila was on top of everything. Sheila knew everything going on in Indy Atlantic. While Sheila and Dan rose to prominence, they kept in touch with their old friends Kelly and Gino as much as possible. Kelly got into biking, wanted to be a triathlete. Sheila was into biking, and then both of their husbands got involved. The four of them started cycling together. They were all really great friends. But in 2009, one half of the cycling group hit a speed bump. Dan was cheating on Sheila. I'm sure that Sheila's heart was probably breaking, but she didn't make like it was. Sheila was, you know, she was loyal. She was a loyal wife and wanted to hold her marriage together. So she tried everything, but that didn't work for it. Finally, in March 2009, the couple started talking divorce and Dan moved out of the family home. I do know the struggles that he put into Sheila's life. I know he, he did, he made her crazy because he did cheat on her. But Sheila and Dan weren't the only ones whose marriage had hit a breaking point. Things got bad with Gino and Kelly. All of a sudden, both marriages fall apart. It's an interesting little twist of people that were close friends. There had been some problems between Gino and her. Gino wanted to reconcile, but Kelly was pretty set on the fact that she wanted out of that relationship and to move on with her life. Kelly moved in with Stephanie. They were, you know, close people. And Kelly needed a place to go, and Stephanie had a, a place for her. 
But now, less than a year later, on February 15th, 2010, Kelly mysteriously goes missing. And investigators hope Stephanie can help them find her. She knows Kelly's activities pretty well on a day-to-day -day basis. She knows that Kelly left for work, but she hasn't seen her since in person. Kelly suffered from multiple sclerosis, and it is a disease that affects the central nervous system. We were worried with the history of the MS that she maybe had a flare-up, and she could have lost control of the car because of either weakness or a seizure or something like that. So we worried about that. Stephanie was so scared and, and worried that something may have happened to her. We were determined to find Kelly and hopefully to find her alive. Coming up, an unprecedented curveball throws investigators down a strange path. She's having dreams and she keeps seeing Kelly. There's, there's something wrong. Can you tell me anything at all about your dream? Anything that might help us locate Kelly? She's seen someone may have hurt or someone may have killed during an argument. Just before midnight on February 15th, 2010, investigators with the Brevard County Sheriff's Office are on a desperate search for 46-year-old Kelly Brennan, who suffers from MS. We begin investigating that night because of the fact of she could be an endangered person because of her medical condition. She may have had an episode while driving to her gym appointment, maybe was involved in a car crash, maybe was transported to a hospital. At that point in time, you just check local hospitals. Hey, has somebody come into your emergency room like that? We sent a bolo out, be on the lookout to other agencies with the tag information and attempt to locate the vehicle. After having no luck locating Kelly, deputies head to her gym to speak with her personal trainer, Mark Knopf. Mark says that although Kelly never showed up, someone else did. It was probably about 9.30, he actually saw Dan Trot arrive, and Dan was also concerned when the personal trainer said that she hadn't arrived for the gym. Mark does tell us that originally Kelly worked out with her soon-to-be ex-husband, Gino. And recently, he had noticed that she was working out with Dan all the time. So his thought process on that was that there must be some kind of a little more than a friend relationship going on. As the sun rises on February 16th, detectives fan out in search of Dan. But before they track him down, dispatch receives an odd call from his mother-in-law. So about 7.30 the next morning, Indian Atlantic Police Department gets a 911 call from Margaret Byers, who is the mother of Sheila Trott, and calls in and says, you need to come out here. My daughter I, has had a nervous breakdown. I mean, is she distraught? Is she angry? Everything. Margaret says her daughter can't stop rambling on about one of her friends. She was calling out that she sees Kelly's face. Kelly's been hurt. She provides him with the name of the person, Kelly Brennan. Fearing their missing persons case may be turning into something more sinister, the Brevard County Sheriff's Office immediately responds to Sheila's home. She doesn't know that we have a missing person report. It's not been broadcast to the news. As we respond, we're looking at the fact that 
Sheila's Dan's soon-to-be ex-wife. Dan may be Kelly Brennan, our missing person's boyfriend. We start to treat it as, okay, this we need to get serious now. We need to look deeper into this. When officers arrive at the home, Sheila's mother, Margaret, and teenage sons, Graham and Creighton, confront them with a bizarre story about the previous evening. It was almost 10, and I came in from doing laundry and saw her standing in the doorway, holding on to one of our shelves in the living room, and then onto the door frame. She was sitting there, like, just kind of shaking. I said, Mom, are you okay? She says, I'm really dizzy, really dizzy. And then she, like, went back against the wall and then just started having a seizure. Sheila's son says the event was so alarming, he had actually called 911 himself at 11.07 p.m. on February 15th, the same night Kelly went missing. Uh, I think my mom's having a seizure. She's just shaking and freaking out. She can't really talk right now. She can't move right. She was just shaking. All right, we're going to get some help on the way to her, okay, Graham? Okay, thank you. She goes to the hospital. They run a series of tests. They find nothing medically wrong at that point, and so she's released to come home. We came back home about like 2.30, and then at about 4 o'clock in the morning, I heard her calling me, and I went into her room, and she's still like out of it, and she was like, Graham, Graham, and I was like, what? She said, I keep having this same dream over and over again. I keep seeing her face like she saw Kelly's face and whatever. At that point, the kids called grandmother to, to get some assistance. When I got here, I talked to her. What did uh, your daughter tell you? She's having dreams, and she keeps seeing Kelly said, there's, there's something wrong. The grandmother had concern enough that she actually called 911 to report that Kelly was possibly hurt. After speaking with her family, the officer heads upstairs to talk with Sheila. So when we're in the room talking to her, obviously it was kind of, you know, strange. She was in bed. She wouldn't get out of bed. Can you tell me anything at all about your dream? Anything that might help us locate Kelly? She could very well be okay. We don't know. Was... I, don't, I don't know either. Like I said, it just scared me. I don't remember. She seems to have had some type of mental break, and yet she's had this dream where she's seeing a face that's of a person named Kelly that either she may have hurt or someone may have hurt or someone may have killed during an argument. Sheila insists her friend Kelly Brennan is in danger, and she soon reveals a clue as to where. She kept saying, I see Mark's landing. She's hurt. She's at Mark's landing. Mark landing is pretty much like a residential area um, of homes located um, pretty far down in the south end of Melbourne Beach. And unless you live in Bavard County, um, you're probably not likely to come across it. There's very few houses that are actually on the beach because of the way the dune lines. The first reaction that we have when we hear some of these things is we need to send people to Mark Landing. I would give it probably a 0% that she can come up with those specifics out of a dream and not be involved in some form or fashion. This is not out in the papers. This is the next morning. This is overnight. So she wouldn't know it officially. Investigators quickly dispatch a team to Mark's Landing, the location where Sheila believes Kelly may be in danger. 
She didn't give a particular location of exactly where we could find Kelly. We sent several units to do a search of the area, both in cars and on foot. During that search, they determined that the dunes themselves were heavily vegetated. When the police initially went there, they initially couldn't find her. So at that point, we requested a helicopter to give us a better aerial search view. Well, almost immediately upon arrival of our star helicopter, the pilots noticed a body. Once our crime scene investigators and, and everything get there and, and take a closer look, she's wearing athletic attire. The first officer, based on the clothing description and the pictures that he has, he's confident that this is Kelly Brennan. Coming up, a deadly nightmare becomes reality. You tell she had a lot of blunt force trauma. It was kind of a gruesome scene. You could tell by looking at injuries, this is personal. And new suspects emerge. He had made threats against her. Sucker, I'm going to catch your mother Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. February 16th, 2010. Detectives investigating the disappearance of Kelly Brennan have just located her body in Mark's Landing, the area where her friend Sheila Graham Trot thought she might be hurt. You could tell she had a lot of blunt force trauma to the head area. Her hair was kind of matted and covering her face um, from the blood. It was kind of a gruesome scene. It didn't look like she had been there a very long time, but possibly had been there overnight. It did not look like there was a spree attack or some kind of blitz attack that occurred right there. There would have been a tremendous amount of blood on the scene. There, there would have been evidence of a large struggle and those types of things. They weren't present. There appeared to be some type of a drag mark through the sand leading up into that area where we finally located her body. That was a telltale sign that this happened somewhere else. Somebody brought her to this location. 
While Kelly's body is transferred for an autopsy, detectives are left with a pressing question. How did Sheila know that Kelly's body was on the beach? I've worked cases when I was in special victims where we've had psychics call us and tell us about, you know, visions they've seen. But here was a woman telling us about a dream about a particular friend and a particular incident and a particular location. It doesn't seem plausible at all. The fact that she's seeing Kelly's face tells me that, you know, she was there when it happened. The only way somebody would have known where the body was if they put it there. If she didn't do it, she was there when it was done or knows a lot about it. Detectives return to Sheila's home and turn their attention to Dan Trott, Sheila's soon-to-be ex-husband and Kelly's possible boyfriend. Once we found Kelly Brandon's body, Dan Trott had responded to Sheila's house. And while he was there is when he was interviewed by one of the agents from the homicide unit. Detectives questioned Dan about his contact with Kelly the evening she was reported missing. When's the last time that you seen Kelly, spoke to Kelly? The last time I spoke to her was last night at about 6.30. I was in Atlanta. My flight was supposed to leave about 7, so I'd be in about, you know, 8.20, 8.30 into Melbourne here. And she was going to spend the night with me last night. So I said, I'll meet you at the gym, and then we'll go to my place. And uh, so I went straight to the gym there. By the time I got there, it was, I don't know, 9.15, 9.20. Dan Trott and his wife had been separated for almost a year during this time. And during their separation, he developed this relationship with Kelly Brandon. Their relationship got more intimate. And this relationship she has with Dan Trott is growing. Dan says that in early 2009, he and Sheila filed for divorce. He did not live at home with his soon-to-be ex-wife. He actually had a residence somewhere else and he had started in a relationship with Kelly. According to Dan, the relationship wasn't well received by his ex. She's been stalking me in respect, yes. Oh, she's, she's clever, she's capable. Dan claims Sheila wasn't the only jealous spouse in the mix. Kelly had been married to Gino. They were still legally married, but she had moved on and was now seeing Dan. Gino, I don't think, knew that. But, Dan says, on Christmas Eve 2009, Gino somehow found out about Kelly's new flame. Gino burst into the residence. Obviously, he was upset, and he had a blunt object that he was able to use and hit Dan Trott about the head. Kelly is begging him to stop, you know, telling him to quit, to leave. And at some point, she says she's calling the police, or they actually dial 911. And Gino runs off and, and hides from the uh, police response. Dan says after Gino left him bruised on the floor, he thought everything was over. But he was wrong. Kelly went back to the house that night. She went back to Gino's house. She confronts Gino about the incident that happened with Dan. They get into an argument. Gino's upset. He ends up putting his hands on Kelly. She ends up calling 911. Law enforcement arrives, but no one was arrested, and Kelly left. Dan claims that when Kelly quickly filed for divorce, Gino felt Dan was stealing his wife. He was calling Dan, just leaving messages, um, threatening him about the whole incident. Holy 
While Dan's insight casts heavy suspicion on Gino, detectives must clear Dan as a suspect first. Dan Trott was an airline pilot for one of the local airlines, and he was on duty that day. Dan had spoke with Kelly at 6.30, and he still had not flown into um, or arrived in Brevard County. The timeline of him between that time and actually arriving at the gym at 9.30 didn't give him the ability to come back to Melbourne commit this crime, be able to drive all the way down to Mark's Landing. It would be at least 45 minutes from the gym to get down there to Mark's Landing. We were able to confirm actual times and, and lock in his time frame of alibi to, uh, to show that he wasn't able to commit this crime. After clearing Dan, investigators set their sights on Gino Rollo. There's plenty of reasons to look at Gino as far as being a person that could possibly hurt her. And so we have to take that seriously and look at him. Detectives become even more focused on Gino when the medical examiner reveals the results of Kelly's autopsy. There was multiple, multiple blows to the head. No observable defensive wounds whatsoever, which suggests that the initial blow came from behind and incapacitated her. It was blunt force trauma, and their most likely object was that it was possibly a hammer. They did say tire is a possibility. Some of them were so brutal and with force that it completely cracked the skull and left actual holes in the skull. You could tell by looking at injuries, this is personal. She was beaten until the person couldn't beat anymore. Detectives can't help but notice the similarities between Kelly's cause of death and Gino's attack on Dan a few weeks earlier. My first thought was Gino must have killed Kelly. That was my first thought. Detectives rushed to meet Gino at the home he used to share with Kelly. He was very cautiously cooperative. I think uh, partly due to he probably figured he was a suspect. Of course, that makes you very apprehensive, talking to the police, not wanting to say the wrong thing. Our separation occurred because uh, she was hanging out with Daniel Trock, and uh, you know, who's a friend of ours. He's been a guest in my home here multiple times. Gino says he initially found out about his wife's infidelity from a friend whose name is all too familiar to investigators. Gino told us that he had been receiving information from Sheila Trott about his wife's relationship with Dan Trott. She had written a lot of letters, you know, Gino, Kelly's cheating on you with Dan. And, like, I remember one letter Gino even writing back, you're crazy, leave me alone. We never really looked into or tried to find out if there was this relationship. According to Gino, he refused to believe the rumor about his wife and Dan until one night in December of 2009. Sheila gave the information to Gino and just kind of left it as, if you don't believe me, you know, go check for yourself. Gino was overcome with curiosity, so he drove to the residence. Okay, don't 
altercation that happened at Dame's house? Was that, were you involved with that? Yes. Gino um, found out about the relationship, and it was shortly after this incident, Kelly decided to move out of the residence, um, and she moved in with Stephanie. Gino says that though his jealousy got the best of him then, he is not responsible for Kelly's death, and he can prove it. I was working in Orlando yesterday. We were opening a new restaurant just uh, north of the airport. Coming back to town, he stopped at a couple of different businesses that we could time date stamp. I picked up a, a prescription that I had called in a few days before at Walgreens at the corner here. The last time she was known to be alive was when she talked with her estranged husband, Gino, at about 7 o'clock. She was supposed to have been meeting her trainer at approximately 9 o'clock. So it's very likely that the murder occurred sometime between those points in time. Police were able to go to that drugstore and find him on the store surveillance camera at the time he claimed to have been there. That store video was the conclusive evidence that he couldn't have done it. With Kelly's current and former lovers seemingly in the clear, one suspect remains. And now we've got Sheila, number one on the list. Coming up, a pair of witnesses finally reveal a gruesome secret. She said she killed Kelly. They said, fine, then let's go show us. They drove down to Mark's Landing, and she showed them Kelly's body. Detectives investigating the brutal murder of Kelly Brennan have zeroed in on her friend, Sheila Graham Trott, as their prime suspect. We did try to reestablish contact with, with Sheila and her boys to conduct additional interviews, but at that point, they were no longer willing to speak with us. With Sheila no longer cooperating, investigators now shift focus to where Kelly was actually killed. The last place that we can figure she must have been uh, would have been at Stephanie's house. Investigators go back to the house again to take a look. Stephanie's house, it's several miles from the dump site. She has trees that border her front yard along the roadway. Right off the bat, we noticed there was tire marks leading into the grass. There was like a matted area of the grass where it looked like somebody had sprayed a bunch of water. There are divots in the ground from where it appeared to be like a hammer striking and hitting into the dirt. That would strongly suggest that this is where the crime occurred. Hard to come up with another reasonable explanation of that. Down the street, patrol officers make another discovery. Kelly's car was found abandoned in a parking lot of a uh, condo complex a few miles away. There was a large amount of blood in the passenger side floorboard of the vehicle. With the discovery of Kelly's vehicle, detectives finally have a theory about what happened on February 15th. I believe she made it home from work. I believe she changed. She loaded her bicycle in the back of her vehicle. And I think at some point she was walking back in the house and her attacker came up from behind her, struck her with the first blow, which put her down, and she didn't have a fighting chance. 
the tire tracks at that point assumed to be Kelly's vehicle being pulled into the yard so that the attacker could place her into the vehicle. This isn't just an accidental shooting or anything like that. This was a brutal personal attack on another human being. Detectives canvass the neighborhood and find one neighbor who remembers seeing something unusual on February 15th. About 8.30 that night, he described a light-colored or white vehicle, and Sheila has a white vehicle. According to the neighbor, he also saw a woman standing in the yard. The neighbor who saw someone out in the front yard at approximately 8.30 described that person as having blonde hair, which Miss Graham Trot does, and then you have her story to the police. I had a dream about all this. We did a search warrant at Sheila's residence. We seized her vehicle, and one of the pieces of evidence that we had recovered from the vehicle was blood spatter that was found on the passenger side of her vehicle. That piece of evidence happened to be the blood of Kelly Brennan. Overall, the, the evidence that we had, everything led to Sheila. On February 17th, 2010, a judge issues a warrant for Sheila's arrest on the charges of first-degree murder. They, like, got her at a corner and came from all directions and, and pulled the car over. At that point, she had nothing to say to us. She didn't ask any questions. She didn't ask why we were arresting her. Um, she just remained quiet. As the trial approaches, prosecutors make one final attempt to extract information from Sheila's sons. For a couple of years there, there was really not much to do but wait and be prepared for trial. But at some point prior to the trial, the state attorney's office subpoenaed the two boys, Sheila's sons, and Although they were represented by an attorney, they were given opportunity to provide depositions to the state. The boy's lawyer agrees on one condition. I was not gonna allow them to testify unless there was immunity given. Prosecutors agree to grant Sheila's sons full immunity. On August 26, 2014, four and a half years since the murder of Kelly Brennan, the boys, now aged 21 and 23, finally open up about their home life and mother. During those depositions, they provided information that Dan is the one pushing for the divorce. And although they were going through a divorce, I don't think she really wanted the divorce. I believe that the boys had to take care of their mother a lot. I'm sure that there were a lot of episodes where the mother was hysterical and crying over this divorce. The boys tell prosecutors that once their father began dating Kelly, their mother's behavior became more erratic. Deep down, I think she still loved Dan, and she blamed Kelly for taking Dan away from her. I had been getting weird texts from her, so she wasn't herself. On the night of February 15, 2010, the boys say their mother had spent the day repainting their home when she suddenly said she had to go to Walmart and didn't return home until 11 p.m. We have now these four and a half hours that fit into that time frame of would she be able to commit a murder, take someone to Mark's Landing, and come back home? Yeah, she has the time to do it. 
she returns home pretty much empty-handed. She's wearing different clothing. The mother was acting completely unhinged and unmanageable. She did tell the boys that she thought that, that she killed Kelly. And Graham said to her, that's crazy. You didn't kill Kelly. And she said, no, I did. He said, then where's the body? And she told them, Mark's Landing. So I don't know which one of the kids it was, but they said, fine, then let's go show us. So they drove down to Mark's Landing, and Sheila showed them Kelly's body. What the sons were confronted with now is, mom says this was a dream, but guess what? It isn't a dream. So the thought that the kids saw that up and in real life makes me sick to my stomach. Coming up, just when investigators think the case is closed, their prime suspect has one final story to tell. While she was sitting in the county jail, she wrote an extensive letter. And in that letter, she said, oh, my memory has come back to me. She said, I saw somebody having a confrontation with her. She said, I saw her get killed out in her front yard. In September of 2014, Sheila Graham Trott is given a choice. Force her two sons to endure testifying against her or take a plea bargain. That plea bargain would have avoided her children having to testify. So if anyone's ever testified in court, that's pretty traumatic. And so Ms. Trott could have avoided that for her children, and she chose not to. Sheila shouldn't have put her kids through all this. She should have stepped up to the plate, and she should have told the truth. Instead, Sheila doubles down on her innocence. On September 3, 2014, prosecutors receive a letter Sheila wrote to her friend, Kim Meredith. While she was sitting in the county jail, she wrote an extensive letter. And in that letter, she said, Oh, my memory has come back to me. It turns out that this was not a dream, that I actually saw Kelly get murdered. In the letter, Sheila claims she had gone over to Kelly's house that night to talk to her about Dan. She was the kind of person that's like, I'm going to go confront her. I'm going to I'm going to talk to her. She said, I parked around the corner, and I walked around, and I saw somebody having a confrontation with her. Sheila claims it was too dark to see who the other person was, but she could tell when the man attacked Kelly. It had every blow to the head. It had all this description. She said, I saw her get killed out in her front yard. And then I saw the killer load her body into her vehicle and drive her to where it was found. And I followed him there. Prosecutors believe that Sheila is actually describing how she carried out Kelly's murder. My view of the letter that Sheila wrote when I read it is it's a confession. It has so much detail uh, as far as actions that were taken. It doesn't make sense that you would watch a crime like this be committed and then follow the person around and not call the police. 
Undeterred by Sheila's letter, the trial begins in September of 2014. In their opening arguments, prosecutors tell the jury they believe Sheila first tried to get Kelly's husband, Gino, to end the affair for her. Sheila figured since she wasn't reaching Dan, that by letting Gino know of this relationship, it would cause a disturbance on that side of the relationship that might be able to pull Kelly away from Dan. When that failed, prosecutors insist Sheila took matters into her own hands. So my belief is that originally she probably went there to confront her. And I think with all the anger that she had built up that it was a crime of opportunity. Sheila came up behind her, put her down, and just continued to beat her out of anger. She then loaded Kelly's body into Kelly's car, drove her to where she disposed the body, then disposed of, uh, then abandoned Kelly's car. Sheila was a classic example of someone that let jealousy control her, and, her, and she just, uh, just snapped. While prosecutors rely on the testimony of Sheila's sons to secure their case, Sheila's defense insists there are other people who wanted Kelly dead. Her attorneys were trying to lean in to create that reasonable doubt by presenting as much as they could about Gino. But will the jury believe it? This is a straightforward case. The verdict came back guilty. There was just too much evidence. She looked at me a couple times, no emotion. She didn't cry, she didn't, she didn't, there was no emotion. On September 16th, 2014, Sheila is sentenced to life in prison for first degree premeditated murder. I think she's clearly where she belongs. She killed somebody. Um, she did it in a very brutal fashion. I believe that when you behave in a manner that Sheila Trott did, that the only answer is life in prison. To those close to the case, it's a reminder of just how consuming jealousy can be. She thought Kelly absolutely betrayed her, and Kelly did betray her, but she didn't deserve to die. Something like this is pure anger and revenge, and that is the brutality of it all. And I think that's when people say somebody's evil, that's what evil is. After Sheila's arrest, her sons were cared for by their grandmother and family friends. They maintain close contact with their mother. Sheila is currently serving her life sentence at the Lowell Correctional Institution in Marion County, Florida. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. Just with a touch of humor. I'd just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This mother 
lied. Like a liar. Like a liar. And if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal, or you love to hop in the Wayback Machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes, you should tune in to our podcast, Morbid. Follow Morbid on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to episodes early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. 